we're going to tackle a narrative this morning. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And the title of the sermon is Holy Heartburn. Holy Heartburn. And uh, it's a report of Jesus appearing to two men who left Jerusalem the morning of the resurrection. Their trip to hometown Emmaus is one of the most assuring accounts of the resurrection included in the Gospels. It's a classic passage often used on Resurrection Sunday, but it's a story for all time. And if you're familiar with it, I hope you are blessed even more as you see its riches. If you're not familiar with it, I know you will be fascinated with the drama. And the older I get, the more I say, you cannot make the Bible up. It has to be God's Word. It's better than any Steven Spielberg production ever. It's incredible the way the writers under inspiration, and believe me, I wouldn't be here, Mike wouldn't let me if I didn't believe we had the full Word of God inspired every jot and tittle. Even the grammar is inspired in God's Word. Amen? So, Let's go back to the events leading up to the last Passion Week of Jesus before his crucifixion and resurrection. Crowds began to follow John the Baptist as he presented Jesus. The crowds heard the Father's voice saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the point I want to emphasize is the public nature of these events. We tend to read just the script, but think about the public nature of these events. Several months later, after being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus reappeared with John, who proclaimed him to be the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins, which we just sang about, and thank you, Josh, and team for the music. From among those early disciples, Jesus calls out his twelve. Their faith is strengthened as he performs a miracle in Cana and many other miracles. During those times, many believed on Jesus. However, most would end up abandoning him. However, there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant who believe and ultimately would understand what Jesus did and all that he said. Think about the many times Jesus appeared in Jerusalem during the festivals. Thousands heard him teach and saw his miracles. Remember John said, if we had all the miracles written down, the books of the world wouldn't contain it. This is public. This is on CNN, all that Jesus did, Canaanite News Network. Thousands marveled at him. But the crucifixion was a major setback for his followers. Many wandered away from Jerusalem, puzzled and confused. Some gathered in the upper room, probably the upper room even before the crucifixion, hiding from the Jews who were going to persecute any of Jesus' followers. But he was alive, and their hopes would be renewed. Luke's story is very detailed told better than any movie director. The suspense keeps even those who know the story on the edge of our seats. Luke's account contains 
geographical routes and a gradual revelation of who Jesus is, which ends up being holy heartburn that could not be contained. This is the second event of the resurrection day that's recorded in the Gospels. Can you imagine yourself in Jerusalem? Do you have the PowerPoints or are they working? You're in a room, an upper room, and hiding out. Jesus has been crucified. It's the third day. And you're a little bit confused. What happened to the man we thought was going to be our leader, the Redeemer of Israel? So many thousands would be leaving the city. And Luke's account gives us the story of two men of many hundreds of thousands who would be leaving the city after Passover. You can see on the map here, three and a half miles each way. There's the yellow is the uh, modern road and the red is the old road that goes from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You can see again on another map, uh, this is taken in 1910, by the way, this picture before the whole area was developed. You can see the road that these two men would have set out upon as they left Jerusalem, pondering what had happened during that time. And they would have walked on old Roman roads, some of which are still visible today. Okay? I got to do this. <laughs> All right. So now let's just go to the text, pay attention to the text, not my fancy little outline, okay? So beginning in Luke 24, and I'm using the Legacy Standard Bible, there's only a couple differences between this and the New American Standard. We see the meeting, here are the two in verse 13 of Luke 24, and behold, two of them were going, so they're leaving Jerusalem. Two of the disciples, we read back in verse 10. Remember, they were part of the group of the 11 and others who were in a room wondering what happened. The disciples know these two men. They know the disciples. They've been hanging out with them. And you can see the time. It's the same day, the very day, the day of resurrection. And their trail is to a city named Emmaus which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, three and a half miles each way. So what is that on a walk? If you're talking and going slow a couple hours, right? Verse 14, here's their conversation, their talk. And they were conversing with each other about the things which had happened. This is an intense discussion. The Greek words, words for discuss are debate and contemplate. You could hear them talking out loud with high voices as they're wondering what happened to Jesus. Our hopes were dashed. They're reviewing all that happened. The last few days were very unusual. Verse 15, it happened that while they were conversing and debating, do you see the words? It's not just small talk. They are very intense in their discussion. And all of a sudden, a traveler approaches. Jesus himself, now they don't know it's Jesus, but we do, okay, that's a secret. We know this man is Jesus. He approached, 
and was going with them. So as they leave on I-75 out of Jerusalem, on the on-ramp, Jesus takes the on-ramp and joins them in discussion. He appears to them in his, in his resurrected body of which they do not recognize. They think he's just another man coming from Jerusalem and the Passover. Verse 16, here's the twist. But their eyes were prevented. That's a passive verb. So God is the preventer here. Certainly Jesus has a different body, but it's not because it's dark. God is keeping them and their eyes veiled from who Jesus is. There would come a time when all of his followers will understand later in the passage. But for now, these two men, they just see Jesus as another man leaving Jerusalem. And they're in a state of uncertainty about what has happened. But the Lord has some things to teach these two men and us through this narrative. Jesus' identity was not recognized by Mary, remember? She thought he was the gardener earlier in the day. Jesus stood on the beach, remember? The disciples didn't know who he was. So he could prevent himself from being fully disclosed because he's sovereign. He can do that. So their lack of recognition and the concealment of who Jesus is just adds to this incredible story. Now we see the memories of these two men as they ask questions, or as he asked them questions. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to them, or we'll say he, the man, the traveler, said to them, what are these words that you are discussing with one another as you're walking? Well, Jesus knows but he wants to draw the conversation out into the open like a good therapist. He wants to get his patients to start talking so he can hear them out loud. What is it you're talking about? They can hardly believe that someone from Jerusalem would have no idea of the events of the past week. That's like saying on 9-12, what happened yesterday on 9-11? It's that dramatic. Everyone in Jerusalem knows. Anyone close to Jerusalem knows. So look at their expression, verse 18. They stood still. In other words, they stopped. What? They stopped walking. What are you talking about? And they're looking sad. Of course they have grief. The one they thought was the Messiah has died. So one of them named Cleopolis answered and said to Jesus, to him. Now, there are many guesses as to who Cleopas is. Some say Peter, Nathaniel, others. But we'll leave it where the Bible leaves it. And by the way, by only naming one of the men, this assures us that the narrative is accurate. Because if somebody forged it, they would give more detail about this man and the name of the other man. But Luke doesn't do that. So this is very authentic, as is all Scripture. It's not a forgery. So they said to Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? Can, now, think of the tone. Don't just read the words on the page. You have to see it with emphasis. Okay? 
Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of these things? Which have happened these days, meaning the Passover week. They think the traveler must have taken the bypass around Jerusalem. Or his internet was broken. He has no clue on what has happened this past week. So look at their reaction, or his reaction. Verse 19, he said to them, what things? Oh, he just really wants them to talk, doesn't he? And they are shocked at his ignorance. Remember all of the events, the crowds. Think about the triumphal entry, the multitudes at the temple, the congested streets, the public crucifixion, the trial, the thunder and lightning which blanketed the earth, or and darkness which blanketed the earth. All of this was public. Even contributing to the public nature of this was the trial, the long trial involving all the leaders, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin. In other words, all of Congress in Washington, D.C. was in on this. Even Mark tells us that the disciples did not understand all that was going on. Mark 9, 31, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men and be killed, and he will rise three days later. Several times Jesus said, I will die and be raised three days later. Short circuit. They just didn't get it. Now, all of this is because it's God's plan that Jesus die. So we could sing the song we sang this morning about forgiveness of sin. So to fulfill his plan, he, they're a little ignorant and he keeps them that way, all right? It's for his glory. He's going to reveal himself. So John tells us that the understanding would come later in John 12, 6. These things his disciples understood later. They remembered the scriptures and what Jesus said. But for now on resurrection morning, everyone is confused. Now look at the two's recollection. This is amazing. When you stop and think about it, everything that the two men will say is biblically accurate. They are going to preach a sermon to Jesus and yet not believe it. Are you with me? They're going to preach a sermon to Jesus about Jesus <laughs> and they don't even believe it. It's, it's crazy. You can't make it up. So they recalled Jesus as a prophet. They said to him, we're talking about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a mighty prophet. Bingo, you got it. <laughs> Remember in Deuteronomy 18, God would raise up a prophet greater than Moses. These men should know their Old Testaments. Jesus is described, even in Acts 3, as a prophet a prophet greater than Moses. You know, when he healed, the people said, oh, there is a prophet among us. A great prophet has arisen among us, Luke 7. So they're saying a true thing. Jesus is a prophet. Good. Correct. Now they recall him as powerful. Now remember, they're telling Jesus about himself. It's really kind of funny. You wonder if Jesus wanted to laugh. 
but he's a little disappointed, as we will see in a minute. He's mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. It's public. Jesus said he was the only way to the Father, and he backed it up by his mighty deeds. All of his miracles, feeding the 5,000, healing so many people, walking on the water, all of these things were public. They were so public, people brought the sick to him to be healed. These two men were declaring what they really hoped was true. Was he a prophet? Was he really mighty indeed? We're saying he is. They unquestionably had placed all their hopes in this one man who they believed would be the Savior of Israel, and yet they haven't made the connection. Mary and Anna and Zechariah and Simeon wrote songs proclaiming that Jesus would deliver Israel. Certainly they were aware of these songs. Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. But yet, there was still a short circuit. Do you think that happens today? I think so. We read the scriptures and we go, yeah, wait a minute. Really? And of course, the world looks at the scriptures and goes, no way. That can't be true. In the sight of all the evidence, many still don't believe. So these two men who love Jesus are still trying to put it all together. They recall Jesus as punished. Now notice, these are their words to Jesus. We remember how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. So Jesus was, reje was rejected like all of the prophets had been rejected. And the two men are placing the blame on the Jewish leadership who did not want to follow Jesus. They didn't want people to follow Jesus because that would ruin their jobs in the temple their corrupt jobs in the temple. Peter said in Acts 5, you put Jesus to death. So these two men are putting the blame on the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people, rightly so, but we also know that they handed them to the, to the Romans, the Gentiles, to be crucified. So there was enough blame to go around, but notice they're putting it on the Jews and the Jewish leadership. Just think of how this plays out publicly. People are marveling at how he healed the demoniac, how he overturned the tables in the temple, how he healed on the Sabbath. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 9, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. They're saying it, but they haven't made the connection. It's astonishing. How many times Jesus told them this would happen, and they missed it. Luke 18, verse 32, he will be handed over to the Gentiles. So Jew and Gentile have responsibility in Jesus' death. Now look, he was a prophet, they agreed. He was powerful, they agreed. Look at this, he was prophesied, verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Oh, man, their hopes, man, it's just like, oh, was he the one? How could 
a redeemer be crucified. Passover demonstrated redemption, the price of the lamb for forgiveness of sins. They knew redemption required a price. Oh, if they only knew the price that had just been paid for their own redemption. Wow. Their hope was probably more in Israel's political release than a spiritual release. And Jesus is going to reveal that to them. Even Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people and accomplished redemption. That's Luke 1. (laughs) Jesus is the Redeemer. In Luke 24, we were hoping he might be. Even after all of the miracles and the incredible teaching. You know, people were astonished at his teaching. Who who talks like this with such wisdom? Look at their recollection of the appointed time. Indeed, they say. Remember, they're looking at Jesus on the road. Indeed, it's the third day since these things happened. You would think at this point, third day, ding, oh, yeah, he's going to rise on the third day. Now, do you realize these men had been in the room when the ladies came from the empty tomb and reported that they had seen Jesus? And they said, too much, and they left. That's incredible. Three days. They're echoing the three days Jesus emphasized so often. Look at their recollection of the report of the women, but also some women among us. See, they knew Mary and Mary and all the other ladies. They knew them. They heard their report. When they went to the tomb early in the morning, man, this drama just really continues to play out here. They're not impressed with the lady's story. Yeah, right. And look, the lady said, we did not find his body. Bingo, he might be alive. (laughs) But no, maybe it's stolen. We don't know what happened. They just can't cross that line to figure it all out. The women's astonishment, look at this. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels. Of course the two are wiped out now. Think about all the people in the room, the disciples, and many others. And these women show up and say, we saw angels and the tomb's empty. No wonder Thomas leaves. He has enough. You know, you guys have drank the Kool-Aid. I'm out of here. Peter runs down to check it out for himself. And then he goes to his house, wondering what happened. Jesus appears to him. We find out later. And so Peter's in the room trying to convince the people Jesus is alive. And they're still not believing it. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly like the women said. That was Peter and John. They went. And Peter comes back and said, he appeared to me too. Let's go home. (laughs) This is too much. 
So, if the tomb was empty early in the morning and now it's in the afternoon, where is Jesus? They don't even stop to ask that question. This is true of unbelievers today. They just will not believe. They can. And they won't. And they won't because they can't. Unless the Lord opens their eyes. So, they needed a sign. Here is the meaning of all of this. Here's the meaning of all of this. Verse 25, Jesus gives a mild rebuke. Oh, foolish ones, you foolish men, and slow of heart to believe some that the prophets have spoken. Did I read that right? What's the word? All that the prophets have spoken. Brothers and sisters, this is the point this morning. We have all we need in the text. Period. Don't seek anything else. They had it all in front of them in their Old Testament Hebrew text. It was all there. You haven't believed all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus stops listening to them and he interjects. Oh, foolish ones. He's disappointed like the angels who saw the women at the tomb and they didn't believe it either. For now, these two men have either forgotten the words of the prophets, they haven't understood them, or they simply cannot believe it. But Jesus will correct that problem as they walk. And the resurrection should, have not, should not have been a surprise to anyone. It was all over the Old Testament. Jesus will sovereignly begin to remove the veil from their eyes. And getting right to the point, he challenges their memory. Look at this in verse 26, his reminder. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Rhetorical question being yes. It was in the scriptures. The suffering of the Messiah was part of God's plan, and it was taught all over the Old Testament. Certainly, they picked up on the glory of the Messiah, right? Oh, yeah, Messiah, glory, glory, glory. Suffering? No. This is what causes Jews to stumble today. A suffering Messiah? Notice he uses the word Christ, the anointed one, to cause them to dig, dig deeper into their memory bank. Certainly they should know Psalm 22, where Jesus says, my strength is dried up, my tongue cleaves to my jaws, you lay me in the dust of the earth, dogs have surrounded me, evildoers encompass me, they pierce my hands and my feet, I count all my bones. It's a messianic psalm. Why didn't that come to their mind? Psalm 18:22 The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Zechariah 12:10 They will look upon me whom they pierced. Zechariah 13:7 Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. They should know. Redemption was in the death and suffering of the Messiah. Our redemption 
The gospel is the death and burial of the Messiah and his resurrection. Nothing else. Certainly Jesus would have explained Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9.26, where the time of his death is mentioned. None of this came to their mind. Jesus emphasizes the Christ would enter the glory after suffering. Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to crush him. He was bruised for our iniquities. But he will be glorious. The resurrection is in the Old Testament because even in Isaiah 53, he will see his seed and the Lord will prolong his days. That's necessary for a resurrection. The the resurrection makes that necessary. Glory is always associated with God. And here Jesus is saying that the Messiah shares the same divine glory. He is God in the flesh. This is what the rest of the New Testament tells us. Philippians 2, 9, remember? Jesus was crushed on a cruel cross. And every knee will one day bow to him and declare he is Jehovah. And he is glorious. The resurrection and glory mean God and Christ have authority. That's what it means. The resurrection means authority. And Jesus will rule on this earth and in heaven forever. So, verse 27, Jesus begins to reassure them. Then beginning with Moses and with some of the prophets, all of the prophets, he interpreted or explained them to them the things concerning himself in some of the scripture. All of the scripture. Notice all, twice more. He explains something about his suffering and glory from every portion of the scripture. The law, the history books, the wisdom books, the prophets, the prophecies. Can you imagine a sermon by Jesus himself using the text that he wrote? Mind-boggling. What a walk that must have been. Three miles full of exposition of the Hebrew scriptures from the very author himself. If Jesus were here today, you know what he'd do? Open the scriptures and proclaim himself. From cover to cover, he flipped each page in their minds, giving them insight. He showed them exactly what the religious leaders refused to believe. One thinks of the images like the lamb raising the serpent in the wilderness, the story of Jonah, all of the feast of Israel, first fruits, Passover, trumpets, day of atonement, all pointing to Christ and Christ fulfilling all of them, and he explains it. Let me show you how the feast of tabernacles points to me. Let me show you how Jonah Jonah speaks of me. From beginning to end, Christ unfolds his own word. Wow. What, you know, we have, uh, uh, what are the books? Audio books? <laughs> when you have Jesus reading his own text 
on your audio book? Wouldn't that be something? And explaining it? What was going on in their minds? Now comes the meal. Verse 28. And as they approached the village where they were going, Jesus acted as though he were going further. So Jesus has been teaching his very own word. It's getting dark. The travelers are soon to turn into their driveways, and Jesus acts as though he must go on. But the two have seen and heard too much. They're not going to let this guy go. They realize something is different. And knowing it's dark and maybe unsafe, they seize the opportunity to compel him, strong word, beg him to come in. They urged him strongly, verse 29, stay with us, it's getting evening. So he went in and stayed with them. The man agrees. He joins them as they enter the house. Now, think if you are Mrs. Cleopas. <laughs> Little, I won't charge you for this, this is extra credit. If you're Mrs. Cleopas, and Cleopas opens the door and says, honey, I'm home, uh, back from a week in Jerusalem. By the way, I got two guests. Can you make dinner real quick? So, at any rate, we find them reclining at the table. The meal is in the oven. The bread has been set on the table. You think by now they would have asked his name. They haven't even done it. They haven't even asked his name. The words of Jesus were so profound and so provoking of interrupting him to ask his name was unthinkable. He's still unknown to them. And then we see the handout, verse 30. And it happened that when he was reclined at the table, he took the bread and blessed it. Now, in Jewish custom, the guest does not do that. That's reserved for the host. But they're not going to stop this man. <laughs> There's something different. So he, the guest, takes the honor of getting the bread, passing it out, and first he blesses it. And Luke, this is so amazing how he writes it. There's not a lot of detail. He just gets right to it. And as he was breaking it, or after he broke it, he was giving it to them. Now think about sitting across the table and all of a sudden you make really serious eye contact with Jesus because now he's handing you the bread. They probably had some eye contact, but now it's, it's across the table. And without any delay, verse 31, their eyes were open and they recognized him. <laughs> wow, everything changes at this moment. The Lord had purposely and sovereignly kept them from recognizing this man on the whole trip. At the very ordained moment, their eyes are open. The figure that they had gazed upon during their journey was now revealed. If anyone was ever stunned, it had to be them. If you look in the dictionary, their pictures are beside the word surprised. 
Their eyes now are open, divinely open. And a few things come to mind. What was the look on their faces? Can you even imagine that? Secondly, what was the look on Mrs. Cleobus' face if she was peeking through the kitchen? Amazing. The recollections of the week had engulfed these two men. The rejection of Jesus had enraged them. The revelation from Scripture had now excited them. And the recognition of Jesus has energized them. They are ready to go tell somebody that they have seen Jesus. So they're set on returning to Jerusalem to tell the others. And as soon as they know who he is, guess what? He's no longer needed. (laughs) They know who he is and they have the scripture. So he vanishes right from their sight. Wow. Can you make this up? I don't think you can make it up. Only God could do this. Think about how they would describe how Jesus walked with them, talked with them, ate with them, and then vanished. This causes holy heartburn, verse 32. That's where the title comes from. No no joke. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us when we saw Jesus? Did I read that text right? See, this is the point this morning. We would have been talking about how we saw Jesus. Luke focuses in on what really changed them. It was the Word of God. Seeing Jesus is an experience. Having the Word of God in us, that's what converts, sanctifies, and changes us. So he doesn't even talk about seeing Jesus. Before they could get up from the table, they looked at each other and said, our our hearts were burning. We had holy heartburn. Physical heartburn is bad, but spiritual heartburn, that's pretty good. You need that. And there's no medicine for it. It just gets better and better. Spiritual heartburn. When you read the text. The scripture with all of its conviction and assurance caused excitement. Does our heart burn within us as the spirit of God enlightens us and confirms into our hearts that the things in the Bible are true? It's the work of the spirit. I know the scripture is true. How do you know? Because I know. It's true. It stood the test of time. Matthew Henry said, after listening to a sermon by Jesus, you don't compare notes, you compare hearts. And that's what they were doing. Our hearts burned within us. With them and it should with us. That's why Paul and Peter and the apostles, what did they use? The scriptures. All throughout the New Testament, they argued from the scriptures. They convinced from the scriptures. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the child of God. Nothing else. By the foolishness of the message preached. In other words, explanation of the Scriptures, which Mike does so well here. Through that, people are saved and sanctified. Now look at the mission, verse 33. They stood up that very hour. They got up and returned to Jerusalem 
And there, it's probably dark, because it was getting dark. So they made, I'm sure they ran fast and broke the speed limit on the way back to Jerusalem. They found the others gathered together. They had left this group earlier, thinking they drank the Kool-Aid. And now they're coming back to give a report that they had seen Jesus. So Cleopas says, honey, sorry, put the meal in the fridge. We're leaving. We're going back to Jerusalem. And they find the 11 and the others in locked doors for fear of the Jews, John 20 tells us. Think about this. The women have told the group, we saw Jesus. Mary Magdalene specifically, I saw him. Peter has returned. I saw him too. There are still skeptics in the room. Thomas leaves. He can't believe it. But as they return, obviously known to the disciples because they knock on the door and they're let in, verse 34, there's relief. The people in the room are saying, the Lord is really risen, has appeared to Simon. So finally, some in the room are getting it. And with their return, they can confirm Peter's words. Yes, Jesus appeared to Peter. You know how we know? He appeared to us. And then they give the whole story of being in Jesus' presence while he teaches his own word. It's still too much for some people. So the two give their account after Peter's account, after the women's account, and some still did not believe. Look at the repeat in verse 35. They were repeating all their experiences and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. But some in the room still will not listen. Look at this manifestation and and we'll close with verse 36 through 45. While some were telling these things, Jesus himself came and stood in their midst and said, peace be to you. Wow, there's the final report of the day. (laughs) The women, Peter, the two, and now Jesus. And of course, they're shocked. You know, well, we've seen a spirit. As Jesus so often does, he assures them. He says, touch me and see, it's, it's really me. And so they do, and he showed them his hands and his feet. Now, verse 41, notice this. While they still were not believing, oy vey. It's so much. It's so unnatural. Of course, it has to be supernatural while they were still not believing because of their joy and they were still marveling what has happened am I going crazy that's my interpretation he said to them give me something to eat so he eats he walks through the room and then he eats he had eaten and left a room earlier the resurrected body of Jesus converts and goes through walls It contains the scars of the cross. It convinces doubts. It consisted of flesh and bones. It consumes food and liquid, and it covers great distances within a second. So Jesus reassures them again, stunningly. He says, these, now notice this. Scripture, Jesus' words, that's the point. 
These are my words which I spoke to you while I still were with you. That all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He still goes back to Scripture. You should have known. So we have no excuse. We've got the 66 books of the Bible, the complete revelation to burn our hearts up. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's what this church is for. It's what Mike and the elders want to do. Open your minds to the text. God doesn't speak through experience or circumstances and all that. He's finished. He now speaks to us in his word alone, as the reformers would say. You can't trust your experiences, but you can trust the word of God. Is the Bible enough for you? Think about this. They did not look at each other and say, we just saw Jesus. Did you see his beard? It got longer. No. None of those details. Our hearts burn because he explained the text. And that's good then and it's good now. Is the Bible enough? Are you seeking more? than scripture let me just remind you of this Paul did not make experience the heart of his message remember he went to heaven but he couldn't talk about it Peter saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration you know what he said we have the more sure word even Peter wouldn't use his experience of seeing Jesus as an argument he would just preach the word. Brothers and sisters, we have everything we need for life, salvation, and godliness. Even someone coming from the dead is not on par with Scripture. Do you remember that? Jesus said, if they don't believe the prophets, they won't believe if somebody comes from the grave. We have God's word this morning. Aren't you glad? Now, I'm going to close with this statement. I want you to write it down, your pencils, get your pencils, your pads out. I'm going to tell you the most profound Hebrew and Greek grammar, the most profound theological statement. Scholars have wondered and contemplated for centuries on what I'm going to tell you this morning for free. All right? Great theologians have tried to wrap their minds around what I'm going to tell you so clearly right now. Are you ready? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And in his name and according to his word, Amen.